Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. This is a story that caught my attention this morning. Um, probably um, you're not too happy about it, Matt, I imagine. Maverick Nationals MP George Christensen, who was retiring at this election... Now he's going to run for Parliament for Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party. Matt, what a turncoat. Well, it is a desertion, Ali, of uh, especially the hard-working members of our party that have supported George for many years. All of us really only get into to Parliament with the support of a team and hundreds and thousands of others. And, you know, just the other week he was telling those supporters that he, he wouldn't run uh, at this election and, and things have changed very quickly, so there's some questions there to ask of George. Hello and welcome. It's great to have your company. You're with the political podcast that goes where the mainstream media won't. We look at the issues, the real issues confronting our nation, and they are not the same as the agenda promoted by our political class and cultural elites. Well, the Prime Minister has fired the election starters gun for a long campaign in the lead up to a May 21 election. What was looking to be a lacklustre campaign between two major parties who have no big agenda apart from agreeing pretty much on the same woke agenda. They're both signed up to economy harming net zero policies and both are signed up to anti-life, anti-family policies. The big story of this election though is not what is being focused on by the media. A couple of big rocks have been thrown into the pond in this first week of the campaign. The first is the surprise dual announcements by the former LNP's member for Dawson in North Queensland, George Christensen. That he, he's, uh, and that was the subject, of course, of the cold opening. He's resigning from the LNP, saying it no longer aligns with his values. And B, that he is reneging on his retirement to join One Nation uh, running as a Senate candidate alongside Pauline Hanson. Now, this is to be one of the shortest political retirements in history, although it is unlikely George will be elected as number three on the One Nation Senate ticket. Now, I count myself as a friend of George's. We've known each other since our local government days uh, in the early 2000s when he was a member of the Mackay City Council and I was a member of the Toowoomba City Council. But when I interviewed him for this podcast last week, he gave no hint that he was about to leave the LNP and join One Nation and then run against uh, his own party. I'm as surprised as Matt Canavan. Now, George's move this week is a major disruptor and it is the latest earthquake as the LNP's base continues to fragment because of the LNP's drift away from mainstream Australians. I'll bring you my interview with George later in this program and you can watch or for my podcast listeners, listen to it through the filter of this week's bombshell announcement. Now, George has been a rare parliamentarian who has stood for principle and what he has to say, uh, uh, reflecting on 11 years in parliament, uh, is worth listening to. You'll find this interview really enlightening. Now, the other rock in the pond this week is the Liberals' candidate for Tony Abbott's old seat of Warringah on Sydney's northern beaches. They've um, pre-selected a woman by the name of uh, Catherine Deves uh, to, to go against Zali Stegall, the former Olympic skier. Uh, Zali, of course, is part of the woke green left, despite pretending to be an independent. But uh, I digress. Catherine Deves, uh, she's the founder of Save Women's Sport Australia. Now, Scott Morrison doesn't want to talk about the rainbow political movement's war on women and children. Uh, Deves, who lives at Manly, has built a media profile fighting to keep bi biological males out of girls' and women's sports. The woke Morrison government sadly released guidelines in 2019 recommending that girls' and women's sporting clubs allow biological males to compete with and shower with the girls'. 
After spending the last three years ducking and weaving on the harmful rainbow indoctrination of children and its infiltration in sports, Morrison is now mustering some courage. Dee's pre-selection is a potential game changer, and I'll have more to say about that in just a moment. But first, let's take a look at what's at stake for our nation as Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese go hard on personality politics but light on policy in the run-up to May 21. People often ask me in the years I've been out of politics, uh, what is leadership quality, what do you think is important? I think the most important thing any political leader must do is to stand for things, to argue things, to fight for things. And unless you do that, both against your opponents and within your own party, um, I don't think people take you seriously. That was, of course, former Prime Minister John Howard speaking this week on Sky News. While he was trying to help the coalition's uh, prospects of getting re-elected, sadly, his comments on leadership apply equally, in my view, to both sides of politics. Here's why. Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese this week laid out what they think the May 21 election is all about. Both miss the real issues confronting Australia, to which I'll come to shortly. Both are making the contest about leadership as if the Prime Ministership was a personality contest. Morrison claims he has experience and that Albanese is a risk. Albanese claims Morrison's character is wanting and that he has fresh vision for the future. But many commentators rightly observe that the policy differences between the Liberal National Coalition and Labor, doubtless heavily influenced by the Greens, are minimal. On climate, they are both signed up to the economy-damaging net-zero policy. Both claim they will not increase taxes, both say they will strengthen our defence forces, and both say they can deal with our eye-watering debt over time by growing the economy. Labor is promising free stuff like free TAFE, cheaper hospitals, more money for aged care, and cheaper electricity. These are all great ideas, but it's not clear how they can be paid for without raising taxes or cutting services elsewhere. The issue facing Australia uh, are eerily similar to what they were in 2019 when I was campaigning as a Senate candidate with Cory Bernardi's now defunct Australian Conservatives. Only now, all of the problems we identified back then have become greater. We campaigned then to fix Australia's looming energy crisis, debt crisis and freedoms crisis. Despite Morrison presenting as a Conservative after toppling Malcolm Turnbull, the can has only been kicked down the road on all these issues. The continued reckless closure of coal-fired power stations without replacing their generating capacity with like is edging us closer to an expensive energy crisis. The prolonged overreaction to the COVID pandemic has pushed our debt beyond $1 trillion with the government handouts just throwing petrol on the inflation fire and putting pressure on interest rates. The word woke is now part of the vernacular as crazy ideology restricting freedom of speech and religion with many of us now being dragged before the courts. Christian and Muslim schools are under the most pressure with neither side of politics willing to help them. Such is the power of the LGBTIQA lobby which demands they surrender their diversity for rainbow conformity. Neither party will amend Section 18C of the Federal Racial Discrimination Act or override the equivalent anti-free speech sections of state anti-discrimination laws. Freedom of speech and freedom of religion should be front and centre of this election campaign. A free country like Australia should never have drifted away from such principles, but the long march of the cultural Marxists has been very successful. 
In terms of the biggest social justice issue facing our nation, the killing of the unborn, both major parties and virtually all the minor parties, um, Australian Christians in Western Australia are the exception, but they all support the status quo of taxpayer-funded abortion to birth. Both major parties talk a big game on cost of living pressures on families, but neither will end the financial penalties against families who choose to care for their children at home. Both parties talk a big game on violence against women, but neither has a strategy to deal with one of its root causes, pornography. To its credit, the Morrison government did have a crack at reforming the woke national school curriculum. This teaches children that their gender is fluid and that Australia had an illegitimate and racist settlement. But the advocacy work and cleaning out of the bureaucracy has not even begun. It has been too little, too late, and our kids are being brainwashed into hating Australia. This should have been addressed much earlier in what has been nine years of a supposedly conservative government. LGBTIQA plus wokeness is so laced through the government that Dr. Brendan Murphy, the Secretary of the Department of Health last week, could not give a definition of woman when asked. I'll have to take that on notice, Senator, he said in response to a question from Senator Alex Antic. The Morrison government has not even had the will or the courage to rescind transgender guidelines for girls and women's sport launched in 2019 by its hapless sports minister, Senator Richard Colbeck. Tasmanian Senator Claire Chandler is courageously promoting a private senator's bill to save women's sport from the intrusion of biological males. But anyone who knows anything about politics knows that unless Scott Morrison makes it a government bill, it will go nowhere. His support for Chandler's bill is disingenuous. Morrison and Albanese send, uh, spend the next six weeks in lockstep promoting woke policies which conform to a globalist social and climate policy agenda while making the election campaign a personality contest. The real contest for ideas about freedom, the rights of the unborn, how to strengthen families, uh, lowering the debt and how to build a strong economy that has energy security at the heart of it will go undebated. Our nation is on the wrong track. Establishment politicians are on a unity ticket of climate alarmism and wokeness. There are few dissenting voices. Few have the courage to do what they know in their gut is right. The perks of office are not worth sacrificing. Fringe parties will provide a modicum of dissent, which is useful, but in my opinion, Clive Palmer and Pauline Hanson, as much as I admire their willingness to take on the establishment, don't have the answers or the strength of character to lead us out of the mess. The Liberal Democrats, uh, led by former Queensland Premier Campbell Newman, uh, will push libertarian social policy like euthanasia. The election will be framed as a leadership contest between Morrison and Albanese. This will be a mirage because no one is offering the leadership our nation needs. Several commentators have said this will be a Seinfeld election styled after the 1990s sitcom, which was funny because it was about nothing. But there's nothing funny about the state of our nation. Let's be praying. The leadership we need will emerge in time. Just don't expect it to be during the next six weeks. It was good to see Scott Morrison engage the culture wars on day one of this 40-day election campaign. He has spent most of his prime ministership dodging them. His candidate uh, for Tony Abbott's old seat of Warringah is the co-founder of the Save Women's Sport Organisation, Catherine Deves. She's been working to stop biological males at the behest of the rainbow political lobbyists from ruining girls' and women's sport. Deves will take on the ultra-woke Zali Stegel, who, if journalists were doing their job, would ask her to define woman. 
That someone has to create an organization to fight to keep blokes out of girls' sports shows just how insane our world has become. A media that thinks intelligence is measured by an ability to transcend biology doesn't get it, and many tried to paint Morrison as a, as a transphobic bigot for these comments. Take a listen. Catherine Deeve over there in, in Warringah, um, you know, she's, she's standing up for something really important, and that is to ensure that you know, when it comes to you know, girls playing sport and women playing sport, they're, they're playing against um, people of the same sex. Now, Morrison went on to say that he would have more to say on this issue. This is very interesting. Could he be shaping to make saving women's sport an election issue? After allowing his hapless sports minister, Richard Colbeck, to release on behalf of his government transgender guidelines designed to corral girls and women's sporting clubs into allowing biological males to compete against and shower with females, Morrison now seems to be mustering some courage. If he was fair dinkum, he'd put Colbeck out in front of the cameras tomorrow, tearing up the guidelines. Mainstream Australians would cheer, rainbow political activists and the media would set their hair on fire for a day, and the Libs would go on to win the election. Nonetheless, it's great to see Morrison backing Deves and Senator Claire Chandler's private senator's bill to save women's sports, a bill that will likely go nowhere unless the government makes it a government bill. It's a shame Morrison couldn't show a modicum of support to City Point Christian College for its enrolment policy. Like Deves and Chandler, City Point is simply wanting to keep biological males out of girls' toilets and to save their sports at school. A large part of the reason Morrison won't back City Point's Christian enrolment policy is because the backlash from the woke rainbow activists is always swift, brutal, and amplified by their fellow travellers in the mainstream media. The truth doesn't stand a chance. Just look at the dream-run transgender Australian footballer Hannah Mouncey got in response to Morrison's comments supporting Deeds. Scott Morrison has never cared about women before. Why is he caring now? Said the biological male who smashed up plenty of women before the AFLW decided it was too dangerous for him to play. Of all the concerns women have and are passionate about, this is not one of them, Mouncey told the Daily Telegraph. He should repeat this outside the goat cheese circle of Sydney or Melbourne. Mums and dads in the suburbs want their girls to compete against girls, not boys or men. I'm exhausted if it's good enough for the Olympics that we play, it should be good enough for Scott Morrison. Now, Mouncey was referring to the International Olympics Committee's decision to let biological men identifying as women to compete at last year's Tokyo Olympic Games. We just want to be allowed to play, he said, with no hint of concern for what the women who miss out might think as they make way for men identifying as women. The Telegraph then brought in Anna Brown, formerly of the 2017 Yes campaign to de-gender marriage. As a committed rainbow activist, she didn't lay down her weapons when the Yes campaign won. There were bigger frontiers to move on to, like teaching children that gender is fluid. Brown now heads the full-time campaign machine, Equality Australia, which takes Christian schools to court for upholding their Christian ethos in this post-same-sex marriage era. Here's what Brown told the media. The political parties that wish to form government this coming election must commit to governing for all Australians and ensuring that every person in Australia can live their life with dignity and respect no matter who they are or who they love. This obviously has nothing to do with six-foot blokes in skirts smashing girls in the netball. And then the modern liberals joined the pile-on on Scott Morrison and Deves. 
Woke Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg told The Guardian he was worried Morrison might announce an unnecessary ban on biological males playing female sports. For his whole prime ministership, Morrison has sat back as the rainbow wave rolled through our schools and sporting clubs. Could Catherine Deves have brought one of the most important issues facing girls and women into the front and centre of what has been shaping up as a Seinfeld election, an election about nothing? Clearly, the Liberal Party doesn't want to talk about saving women's sports. Deves' involvement in uh, this cause, despite her high profile, um, media before the media profile before the election, uh, she makes no mention of this on her campaign website. In fact, she's deleted tweets this week uh, about uh, girls uh, being experimented on, having their bodies mutilated and sterilised. Let's hope she stays strong and doesn't let the woke Liberal Party cause her to capitulate on telling the truth about harmful rainbow gender fluid ideology. If the media was doing its job, it would ask Albanese what he thinks about biological males taking to the paddock with girls. This is one of the biggest issues facing the children of our nation, yet the big parties and the mainstream media are running a protection racket for LGBT activists. We need this issue debated under the gaze of an election campaign. I actually don't like coming to Canberra anymore. The parliamentary processes to me seem so stale and staged. Question times are farce, where government backbenchers ask pointless questions written by someone else and opposition members ask pointless gotcha questions that never get answers. And the public hate the vitriol and behaviour displayed during question time. I'm guilty. I stand condemned as being part of that behaviour. The matter of public importance is nothing more than a sop to those who want to relive their high school or university debating club years. And votes and proceedings could just simply be dialled in, they're that predictable. We say something in favour of a government bill, the opposition say something against it, and we all vote for it or against it, depending on what the party says. I mean, in the Labor Party, you get expelled for doing anything else. On our side, you just get ostracised. What happened to individuality in this place? What happened to critical thinking? What happened to true representation? As a nation, we bemoan the fact that most politicians are white bread cookie cutter replicas of one another. But on the other hand, we decry a spark of individuality as chaos, destabilisation and disunity, or at least the media does. We can't have it both ways. There needs to be greater room in this place for backbenchers to say what they really think publicly in this chamber and to vote accordingly. The notion of party discipline needs to give way to representation, just like it does in many other legislatures around the world. Otherwise, we run the risk of Parliament House degenerating into a sheltered workshop for people who can't think for themselves. Well, as I said in the top of the show, I recorded uh, an interview with my friend George Christensen last week, principally to talk about his excellent valedictory speech to Parliament, which he gave just two weeks ago. I certainly recommend going online and listening to the entire speech. It's a rare example of principled parliamentary oratory. Now, since George and I spoke, he has announced he's coming out of retirement and running as number three on the One Nation Senate ticket in Queensland. It's essentially an unwinnable position, so it will be a short-lived return to politics before he retires again after May 21. But it will give Pauline Hanson a big leg up as she faces competition from Clive Palmer and Campbell Newman, two other disgruntled former LNP members. What George is doing is simply giving his old party a big whack on the way out. This interview will give you an insight into his thinking. 
Well, it's a great privilege to have once again on the Macquarie Street Political Podcast and this live stream tonight, uh, my good friend, George Christensen, MP, who has recently given his valedictory speech at Parliament. He's uh, retiring at the upcoming election. And uh, George is the member for Dawson, uh, based on the seat of Mackay in North Queensland. George, thanks so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Lyle, for having us on your show. George, um, I want to unpack your very excellent um, speech. I listened to it today. I was really moved by it, I think partly because I, I, I've known you for probably more than 20 years. But uh, I think even putting aside that, just uh, the things that you were saying about our nation really impacted me. But before I get to the valedictory, um, you spoke at a conference that I was at recently in Queensland, Dave Pellow's Church and State Conference, and you explained to the audience there why you were leaving. You used the phrase, politics is broken. Um, that's a hurtful thing for an Australian to hear, but I think we all know it. But tell us, um, just unpack that. Why, why is politics broken and why is that thought part of you leaving politics at a relatively young age in your early 40s? I think I alluded to it a bit in my valedictory speech as well. But um, look, I think by and large, uh, politics is downstream of culture. And uh, it's true to say that there's something that's amiss in the modern Australian culture, uh, something that doesn't gel right uh, for someone that was even born in the uh, late 1970s. Uh, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck, I'm not sure which one of them used to say, we've taken a wrong way to Albuquerque somewhere. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, you can't put your finger on uh, the exact moment or the exact um, uh, crisis or, or, or situation that, that caused it. But, um, you know, if we have a look at the same-sex marriage referendum, uh, here uh, here we, we were upending a uh, tried and tested cultural institution uh, that's served us very well. Uh, and um, I think that that actually shocked uh, quite a few people how far down the chain that the nation had actually gone in terms of its um, cultural leaning. So, uh, you know, I, 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 we're going to get to it later, but I rattled off like a a litany of the things that I think that conservatives should be focusing on. But I'm under no illusion to say that a lot of those things probably aren't popular. Yeah. And um, so so you can't think to change hearts and minds at the ballot box or even uh, via legislation. Um, you've got to do it beforehand. It's going to be a very difficult task for people of our political um, and uh and faith uh, persuasions, because uh, we hear about the long march of the left. Um, well, whether it's the left or, or cultural Marxism or, uh, you know, the woke Easters, whatever it is, they've captured the institutions. Um, certainly, captured academia. Um, we've written that off a long time ago. Uh, they've largely captured the, uh, the legacy media. Uh, they've captured the... Uh, the new free speech, um, well, not free speech. The new, the new, I guess, uh, arbiters of what is permitted speech, uh, and that is big tech. Uh, and also now, um, they've captured corporations. Uh, so, so, so we look around, and um, there's no friends left for true freedom. There's no friends left for free speech. There's no friends left for traditionalism. 
Um, you, you went at the parliament, though, George, 11 years ago. Um, did you think this 11 years ago when you first entered as a relatively young man, I guess you're in your early 30s at the time, uh, has it got as bad as this in the last decade or so? Yeah, look, um, it's a very good question, one that I'll have to ponder a bit more on, but uh, first, first blush reaction is that... Uh, no, I don't think it was as bad as this uh, 11 years ago. Um, I uh, It might have been a bit of naivety to me then as mm. well that uh, maybe didn't see what was going on. But, um, you know, I think that by and large, uh, I won't pull any punches. Um, I think actually you've said this, Lyle, uh, it's Conservatives who haven't who've been in the public square, yeah. who haven't spoken up when issues come up because, oh, they might get uh, uh, something nasty might be said about them by the ABC or by the Guardian or whoever else, so they've shut up. And vacating the field means that you uh, you only leave one side of the argument being heard by the bulk of the populace. And, and that's uh, why, George, so many of us are disappointed uh, that you're leaving the parliament because you're one of the few who have spoken up. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were getting in one last attempt there. So uh, I was. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll keep trying, George. Um, but um, uh, you know what, what? What's what's very scary about that is that we sort of voluntarily vacated the field by and large, but now that field is forcibly being vacated yeah. um, by the uh, the guardians, as I said, or the uh, the arbiters of what's correct speech these days. And that's big tech. That's Facebook. That's YouTube. That's uh, yeah. Google um, yeah. uh, and all the rest of them. Yeah. George, I think the scariest thing um, that I think you said in your speech that really hit me in the guts really hard because I, I still like to think of the Australian Parliament as an institution uh, for all Australians. It's the pinnacle of our democracy. It, it defines our freedom. Uh, but you said um, my values differed from the government that I'm a part of uh, and from the political party, the Liberal National Party. And then you said, I'm freeing myself knowing it is a world, i.e. it, the parliament, it is a world I don't belong to anymore. Uh, now, now, I'd always hope that as a citizen of this country that um, that parliament is, you know, even though I'm not a member of the parliament, it, it represents me. It, it should always be a world that every Australian should feel that they belong to that because the people there represent them. But you said as someone who who I think has very mainstream values that it, it's a different world, that you don't belong there anymore, and that's part of the reason you're leaving. I think that's um, – I just thought that was really frightening. Yeah, look, um, I don't know what to say to you. I mean, in terms of in terms of the, uh, the bulk of – of people in the parliament, uh, it certainly um, the views that I hold, by and large, probably don't uh, coalesce with um, you know either of the two major parties anymore. Um, there is space for the minor parties, but uh, it gets incredibly crowded out, particularly in the House of Representatives. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not saying anything negative about those parties, but uh, when there is a, a majority government. Um, by and large, they are relegated to just simply uh, uh, taking pot shots, pretty much like an opposition. So, um, you know, uh, uh, and and you look to see how Craig Kelly 
is treated in the federal parliament. Whenever he gets up to speak, not only do they do they harangue him when he's speaking, but I've actually seen again and again attempts to actually shut him down and stop him yeah. from speaking uh, in the national parliament. Just think about that: an elected member of parliament getting up and making a speech, and and repeated attempts to to silence him from yeah. speaking. Full stop. So. Um, that's the sort of thing I mean. Well, you said in your speech that you expressed the frustration and the disappointment that backbenchers weren't free to speak their minds publicly in this chamber and to, to vote against party policy. So I guess that's part of why Craig Kelly left. Um, but um, uh, I've lost my train of thought there. But uh, you're, you're obviously saying that they, um, there should be that, that scope to speak. Um, yes. Yeah. And then on the Labor side, sorry, this is what, where I was getting at. You said on the Labor side that if you vote against the party, you're expelled, which those of us who follow politics know that. Not many in the Australian public know that a Labor person That's who right. the floor gets expelled from the party. So you said a Labor mm -hmm. person gets expelled, but a Liberal person or a National Party person gets ostracised, and that's what you're getting at with, with Craig Kelly. So the pressure to shut up about things that you feel um, are important, that you think need to be discussed... Is, is the, that pressure to sharp is massive, isn't it? Yeah, and then every so often you'll get a phone call from someone senior in the government telling you to shut up, I mean, uh, uh, which is just absolutely outrageous for an elected member of parliament to be told by basically another elected member of parliament to shut up, and I couldn't care what position they hold, uh, whether they're the prime minister or otherwise. I mean, uh, they have no right to tell another elected member of parliament to shut up. Um, but but yeah, this is what goes on in uh, in today's uh, today's political theatre. Um, so what you're putting your finger on is the fact that the parliament is not functioning the way that it's meant to. It's completely controlled by the, the parties, and I think we've known this for for years and years. But I mean, the control is so tight now that it's not it's a debating terrible, chamber. Man. It's it's not a place where um, there's a contest of ideas. It's a place of control and manipulation of people who are elected by the people to represent them. Can, can I say, Lyle, no, I'm again not going to pull on your punches, uh, Parliament is a joke, a, a joke. I can't be any clearer than that. Uh, what I said in my speech, I'll double down on here, um, question time, we all see it, we all know, uh, you know, how horrible it looks, but, I mean, all this is is, uh, again... Well, George, just, just hold your thought there. I'll, I'll, read, I'll read for our audience what you said for yeah. those who haven't seen the speech. You said question time... Is, well, first of all, you said, I don't like coming to Canberra anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a big statement. Then you said question time is a farce where government backbenchers ask pointless questions written by someone else and opposition members uh, ask uh, just as pointless gotcha questions that never get answers. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, uh, you know, you, you get presented a question just before you go into question time, half an hour before, or oh, this is your question. Oh, really? My question? Wow. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think once in the uh, in the history of the place, uh, someone actually went off script and gave their own question and never got another question again. So uh, anyway, uh, the, 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 you, you, they don't do that anymore. But, um, uh, but it, it's worse than that. That's just the thing we see, right? But everything else, there's this thing that happens after question time every day called Matters of Public Importance, which amounts to nothing more than a high school-style debating club. Yeah. It is pointless. Um, we have motions that come before the parliament that are never voted on, never voted on. So they just become debating points. Uh, there's no point for them. Um, 
the uh, the legislation that we have, the votes and proceedings, the actual guts of the work of Parliament, you could say, you could pretty much dial it in, uh, Lyle, because, um, you know, as I said in my speech, if it's a government bill, we'll get up and speak in favour of it. If we're government members, the opposition members probably speak against it. Um, yeah. You know, the independents will go one way or the other. And, so regardless uh, of the merits, regardless of the truth of the matter. Yeah, we might throw in a few things about um, our electorate or something like that, which is just um, neither here nor there. And uh, uh, at the end of the day, um, we'll all go into our corners uh, when the vote happens. And uh, you could pretty much dial it in. You don't actually need... 150 people to leave all four corners of the country and come to the nation's capital, spend all that money on that, save the exercise and just have one person go there with a hand with a whole heap of proxies. Um, well, you know, well, you, it's you, either you, that yeah. or you have true representation where people can actually make a stand and, and vote according to their consciences. Well, well, that's interesting. And sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you because you, you've made the point that I think I was getting at because you said in your speech that... Um, the way the Australian Parliament function isn't functions isn't necessarily the way that other legislatures in other countries function. There's a bit more freedom to uh, yep. depart from the party line where people feel strongly about matters. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, you even see that in the uh, mother of parliaments, the UK Parliament. Uh, you certainly see that in the uh, in the US uh, House of Representatives. Um, you know. Uh, probably a little bit less these these days as things have gotten a bit more partisan over there. But still, um, there's been a history of, of uh, uh, in the UK, Tories crossing the floor on certain issues, Labor, um, not so much. Uh, but uh, in the US, certainly the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, they could even team up on things. I mean, there's uh, jointly sponsored bills that, that used to happen over in the US. So... Uh, it, it can happen in Australia. It's just that the party system is so rigid in enforcing what they call discipline yeah. because of the whole mantra that's um, thrust at MPs uh, over and over again, and that's disunity is death. Um, yeah. Well, there's another word for disunity. Uh, it's called individualism, and uh, uh, I thought that that's what, um, uh, you know, centre-right parties prided themselves on was... Uh, the spirit of individualism and uh, individual enterprise, uh, but it's snuffed out as soon as you walk into the gate in Canberra. Well, well, it's interesting you say that because you're someone who's been seen as a maverick. That's a term that the media use as a pejorative against you. Yet watching your speech and the reaction of your colleagues uh, in the chamber, people that I know you've publicly clashed with, uh, like Michael McCormack, uh, the former Deputy Prime Minister, uh, you know, you referred to him as your friend, um, the, the camera... Mm -hmm did a close-up on him as you were talking, uh, dialoguing with him in, in your speech, and uh, the the warmth was real. So what you're saying is that it it doesn't have to be this rigid discipline. There is scope, and, and you've proven that you can be a maverick, you can disagree, you can be outspoken, but you can still be collegial and have friends uh, at the same time. People don't realise that, I don't think. No, I, I think that there's um, too much 2D character... Uh characterizations um, and character assassinations uh, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, federal politics. But um, uh, look, you know, the word maverick itself, I mean, I've seen them all, maverick, rogue, renegade, uh, yeah. you know, you name it, insert the adjective here, uh, uh, that, that they, they go on and on with all of these um, uh, sort of, not, you know, um, 
names, but uh, uh, you're right, it's just pejoratives for people who are uh, thinking for themselves. Um, and I wouldn't have thought that actually we would we would have that. Now, there's something to be said that if you're going to disagree with your party, you know, 80% of the time, or perhaps you shouldn't be in the party, uh, but we're not even talking about disagreeing 80% of the time. Lyle, if you look at my voting record, yeah. I mean, uh, you probably find uh, somewhere in 99% yeah. um, voting with my own side. Even if you choose to vote one or less than 1% of the time, uh, you know, another way or, or um, you know, you argue something slightly different, uh, you're seen as a rogue and a maverick, yeah. it adds to this whole um, misnomer of, of disunity as death, which basically is to crush any form of dissent uh, within the party systems. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the the, the uh, labels they threw at you, you know, maverick, etc. Um, uh, but you use some colourful language in your speech to describe the sort of politician you were. You talked about poodles versus mongrels. I was quite surprised when I saw that on the news <laughs> last week. <laughs> Yeah, there probably weren't weren't, weren't uh, a lot of the uh, ministers that would have been happy about me using that language. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, just just unpack for for our audience well, who haven't seen uh, your speech. What did you mean by what, yeah. what's a political poodle and what's a political mongrel? Well, I, I can't lay claim to it. Um, uh, it was actually Andrew Lamming who said that to me, and uh, uh, he um, said that uh, there's poodles and there's mongrels in this place, and uh, the poodles will get to. Uh, you know, uh, be accustomed to the ministerial leather. Um, uh, the mongrels will be the one that gets things, uh, are going to be the ones that get things done around here. And uh, and um, I sort of uh, uh, added to the story, I said something along the lines of, uh, you know, they might um, they might be mangy, they might uh, uh, bark uh, when they're grumpy, and they might soil the carpet sometimes, but uh, at the end of the day, they do bark when it's needed and they also bite uh, when it's needed. And um, ultimately, they keep the uh, political poodles accustomed to the ministerial leather that, they're, uh, <laughs> that they want to be accustomed to. So, you know, that, that's, um, uh, and there's, uh, you know, like anything, uh, you can take that too far. But I mean, there's a bit of truth to this. Um, you know, uh, if you, do everything that is considered right. If you are, uh, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's, and you mind your P's and Q's, you don't speak out of school, you uh, uh, will probably end up being promoted. And, um, you know, you can see over the course of the years uh, when there's something negative on the horizon. Let me use the analogy of the, um, of the Royal Commission, right? Yeah, for, for, I was going to come for, to that, yeah. Yeah, that, that was one of the times when you um, where, where you went a bit mongrel and uh, went against your own government. Malcolm Turnbull was prime minister. Yeah, and so so to use it though as an analogy, like uh, this was a slow moving train wreck, and it was a slow moving train wreck for the government at that time of their own making. Um, I mean, it was quite obvious to me uh, a few years out from the decision. Not, 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 well, the decision eventually to have it, but, but you know, uh, when the decision of the government was we're not going to have it, it was quite obvious to me that that was not in step with the mood of the Australian public. Um, you know, we had a, a media that was becoming more and more incessant on having it. And actually, if you looked at, um, at the problem itself, 
there was definitely a need to have it. So, so, so why you would maintain this move against it, I don't know. But there's so many things like that that crop up in politics. And it's all, if everyone's going to be just uh, my party right or wrong, well, you're going to walk off the proverbial yeah. cliff altogether, altogether. Yeah. You know, it's only those people that going, uh, guys, I, I see there's an issue here. I think that we better do something about this. And um, yeah. guys, guys, you're not listening. You're not listening. I'm going to have to get louder and louder and louder. And then they blame you. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Don't say anything about that. Don't say anything about it. Pull your head back in. You're the one causing the problem. No, I'm not causing the problem. You're just not seeing the problem that's there and you're not seeing what's got to be done to actually rectify the situation. So it's only people like that that are sounding the alarm bells that uh, that actually wake up the rest of them and, uh, and and pull them back into line so that they're actually... Um, <laughs> so that and, they're able to I be elected, I guess. And I don't think anyone today would um, say that what you did to force uh, the Banking Royal Commission... Uh, was the wrong thing to do. You, you've been vindicated by history there because of the way that that commission exposed the pain and the, um, the, the the maltreatment of people by the banking and superannuation industry. Mm, as deficient as that Royal Commission was, and I do think it was deficient, but uh, we, yeah, 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 you're, 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 you're right. I mean, yeah. uh, within uh, within the government, there isn't there aren't too many people... Uh, uh, publicly, at least, who would say that that was yeah. um, uh, not what uh, should have happened. Yeah, George, you said in your speech you quoted the um, I think fourth century uh, Christian theologian Saint Athanasius. You said, "If this world is against the truth, then I am against the world." Uh, what are the big lies that you've encountered in eleven years as a parliamentarian? <laughs> oh well, um, uh, where do you start? <laughs> for, for, yeah, where do I start? Um, f firstly, uh, the insertion of Athanasius, while I love him, it was a promise to someone that I'd quote Athanasius in a speech, so I've done that. Um, but uh, uh, now, um, look, the big lies of, of, of this, of, of our time, is that what you mean or do you mean the lies? Well, what, what is, well there's lots that you and I could talk about, but what, what do you see? You, you say if this world is against the truth, I'm against the world, and, and I think... You, with all the, the woke stuff and the things that you've been talking about today, um, it, it's, you know, not, not um, territory that is conducive to people of our values. But what are the, what are the you know, say two or three of the, the top lies that you've encountered um, that have caused probably the most damage in your view that just seem as intractable lies that, that we just can't seem to shift through our political and cultural uh, system? Yeah. Um, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll flip it and I'll tell you the, the truths that are pushed back on, which mm. is just as good as the lies. I mean, uh, obviously, one of the truths that's pushed back on is that free speech should be free. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, we suddenly have all these caveats. Uh, well, you know, as long as you don't offend this group or offend that group or uh, as long as your, your views aren't um, about this topic, uh, you know, uh, so, so, so this is one of the lies, and it's a lie that's actually going to be very, very harmful to democracy, uh, Lyle. Uh, we can uh, uh, we, we silence um, free speech to our to our detriment. So that's uh, probably the biggest one of them all, I would say. Um, uh, followed up closely um, by the the uh, the fact that um, 
the truth, I would say, that uh, uh, people should be free um, to, to express their faith. Uh, it's in exactly the same vein. But now we put a little caveat on the side of it. Again, as long as it doesn't offend others, yeah. as long as it's not yeah. talking about specific uh, aspects. Um, so, so these are the two big ones to me, um, uh, freedom of speech and freedom of faith. Uh, and anything that goes against that word freedom, to yeah. me, is a lie. So can I just um, just pick up on that then? Why do you think there isn't the will and the courage in the Parliament of Australia across the political divide to defend free speech? I mean, this is a basic Australian value that you and I have grown up with. The idea that we're having a discussion in 2022 that says that freedom of speech and freedom of religion is not what it should be in a country like Australia. I mean, if you'd have told me we'd be having this discussion when I was a kid, I would have laughed at you. I thought, never in Australia. This is core to our value. Why aren't our politicians going to the barricades on this? Yeah. Look, I think it just goes back to what I said at the start, um, that politics is downstream of culture. Uh, the cultural institutions have largely been captured by uh, people who don't believe um, that free speech should be free, that uh, that um, that there should be freedom of expression of, of people's faith. They, don't, they just simply don't believe it. They are more yeah. in line with identity politics and uh, everything that flows from that uh, rather than uh, the politics of freedom, if I can... Uh, so so you've said this a couple of times tonight, you, and, and I've heard the phrase... I've, you know, many times, you know, politics is downstream of culture. Um, I'd like to think they sort of work yeah. both ways a bit. But um, and you're leaving the parliament as a relatively young man uh, who, you know, is, is very articulate. You're an experienced parliamentarian. You could easily serve in that role for another 10 or 20 years quite easily. Um, but you seem to think that it's it's almost pointless now. Um, so, those of us who are concerned about the trajectory of this nation, what hope is there for us uh, through trying to influence the political system? Or are you saying there is none and we've got to try and um, work through no. cultural institutions? No, no, no. Uh, cer certainly, um, certainly not. I still think that there is a point uh, right now to to being in politics and I'll, I'll get to that. Could I just, um, just add to what I was previously saying, though, about culture, and that is that... Um, uh, cultural, the cultural institutions in this country, academia, the press, largely the press, um, but even corporations now, um, big tech, uh, we could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. that, that they, they dominate the, the, um, the inputs that go in towards public thinking. You know, they, they dominate the inputs. And when, when the inputs are dominated with one stream of thought, it, it's only going to be... Um, you know, it's it's a foregone conclusion what's going to come out of the public consciousness, right? And so why are politicians scared to uh, have these debates and discussions? Uh, because they think that if they get up and they say, you know, the sky is blue on a topic like that, um, then, you know, the, the, the roof's going to fall down on top of them um, because all of the cultural institutions or the... The, um, the, 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 you know, the news media organisations and all the rest of it, they'll start screaming at them and then the public will pile on. That, that's, yeah. that's why they're worried. They're worried existentially almost uh, about their political lives. So um, yeah. there's, there's that. But, but politics still does serve a purpose. 
boy, oh boy, we need to get in and clean up the cultural institutions. That's a very, very long march indeed. Now, that, that, that's, that's a long march. Until then, uh, the job, I believe, of most uh, right-thinking, um, is that in, you yeah. know, all, the, all the meanings of the word, the, the right-thinking politicians out there, is to be uh, like the boy with his finger in the damn wall, uh, holding back uh, the sludge, uh, the flood of bad laws, uh, mm. holding back whatever we can until uh, we're able to, you know, perform some sort of uh, uh, surgery on the culture mm. until we're able to uh, get the culture back into some sort of um, semblance of... of what you and I would see as normality. Yep. Well, well George, um, none of us uh, begrudge you leaving, although obviously uh, many like myself are disappointed, but listening to your speech and, and knowing you as I've had the privilege of knowing you for some years, uh, knowing that you've got a lovely wife and a beautiful uh, two-year-old daughter uh, and you've spent the best part of 18 years in public life if you account uh, your time at Mackay City Council as an elected uh, councillor there so um none of us begrudge you um going back and being a bit of a hobbit in the shire and Mackay's a, a beautiful uh -huh. place but uh you're not going away are you um a lot of people keep asking me what's george christensen going to do oh, wow. next but you've, you've yeah. set up nation first you've, you've got a platform you're still going to be a voice i take it yeah of course i mean uh you know what i talked about this uh the cultural institutions i mean that we've got a we're going to try and not recapture, but um, I think actually part of it is um, establishing our own cultural institutions or establishing our own uh, uh, segments uh, within what we call these cultural institutions and uh, and fighting on from there. And uh, there's something, you know, there's a, the term mainstream media is now morphed into legacy media. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for that. I mean... Uh, Anyone who has some journalistic nous, who has an internet connection, who has a webcam, um, can actually uh, take on the big mainstream media organisations. And if you think that that's, uh, you know, kind of hokey and cute, well, have a look over in the US where um, people like Glenn Greenwald now are, uh, are branching out in themselves, themselves and actually taking on the powers that be where there are um, outfits like uh, Blaze TV that have started up that are uh, uh, that are challenging some of the um, uh, the mainstream or, or you know uh, normal uh, cable or uh, or free to air uh, TV sh stations. So uh, this is what I'm talking about, and I think more and more of that is going to happen as time goes on. And is that what you're going to be doing as well, George? You, you've built um, uh, a substantial platform with Nation First. Uh, are we going to see you in the alternative media space? Uh, look, uh, yeah, look. I, I'll. Uh, I'm going to use the. Uh, you can the announce it here tonight, uh, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'll announce is this: uh, uh, I've got a background in journalism. I've got a background in politics, and I'm going to use those uh, two forces of evil for good. <laughs> I think a lot of people will be heartened to hear your voice is still going to be out there, George, um, uh, and that you st you're still in the fight, uh, just in a different part of the battlefield. George, um, I said to you at the start, uh, I'd only take 10 or 15 minutes of your time. I think I've taken double of that. But uh, it's been That's it's right. always interesting to talk to you, and I know people love hearing from you, and uh, I really appreciate what you've done. Thanks for your service to our nation, and uh, I'd encourage everyone to go and 
listen to your speech, you'll be affected. You'll be affected emotionally by it, by the intelligence of it, by uh, the common sense of it. Uh, where can they get your speech, George? Uh, YouTube, uh, um, your website? Yeah, if they go to uh, YouTube and they type in um, George Christensen's final speech to Parliament, I think they should find that. Great. Everyone should, should listen to George, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's it for Macquarie Street this week. If you'd like to know more about the real issues that uh, confront our nation, get a hold of my book. It's called I Kid You Not, Notes from 20 Years in the Trenches of the Culture Wars. You won't believe what our politicians are getting away with because the media cover up the real story when it comes to abortion, family policy, and so much more. The book is available from my website, lyleshelton.com.au. That's lyleshelton.com.au. Thanks so much to Dave Pillow and Aidan at The Good Source News for production. Without their help, I couldn't bring you this podcast. Finally, thank you for your company. I love the chance to bring this information to you and hope you find it helpful. Please share it on your social media platforms so that others can know about it too. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.